I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land upon which this recording takes place, the Gubby Gubby people of Southeast Queensland. I honour their continuing connection to land, sea and sky, as well as their elders, past, present and emerging. Hey there, welcome back to the Men, Sex and Pleasure podcast. I'm your host, Cam Fraser, talking all things masculinity, sexuality, male bodies and men's experiences of pleasure. On this episode, number 163, I chat with Elliot Justin. Elliot is the CEO and founder of FirmTech, the world's first sex tech company focused on keeping men firm and fit for a better lifetime of lovemaking and pleasure. Dr. Justin is an emergency medicine specialist and healthcare technology consultant in erectile neuromodulation, cardiovascular disease, and diabetes. He and his firm tech team have developed the Tech Ring and the Performance Ring, which are transformative tools to help men optimize personal erectile firmness and to inspire better erectile and cardiovascular health. Firm Tech's mission is to help men sustain an erection, and if they have a problem, prevent it from getting worse. The Tech Ring achieved second place at the 2023 CES Showstopper event in health, wellness, and innovation, and the 2003 Most Innovative Sex Toy of the Year at XBiz. Soon, FirmTech will launch its FemTech line dedicated to a similar mission for women. And you can find Elliot at his website, which is myfirmtech.com, or on LinkedIn if you search for Elliot Justin MD. And this was a really interesting conversation about sex tech in specifically the firm tech ring that Elliot and his company have developed. We talk about data privacy and medical devices. We also talk about the prevalence of erectile dysfunction and the etiology of erectile dysfunction, as well as where we see the future of technology empowering people with data about their sex lives and their sexual health. So super fascinating conversation really glad that I got to speak with Elliot about all this. If this is something that is interesting to you, as it is for me, then I hope you enjoy listening. His interests were mainly masculine, and his success at sports made him sure of himself. He could take girls in his stride, just as he did games. Mother, is it wrong to feel warm and affectionate when you... When you were the boy you really like? No, dear, it is not wrong. When young people come and ask me, should we get married now? I usually ask them a few questions first, like, have you known each other long enough to be sure that you are choosing the right person? Awesome. And the way I like to start, Elliot, is just with an invitation. It's an invitation for you to share a little bit about who you are, what you do, and what are you really passionate about? Sure. Well, I background, I'm an emergency medicine physician, and I can tell you that short of a heart attack or a stroke, the emergency that most concerns men is erectile dysfunction. I ran emergency medicine companies, practiced emergency medicine for many, many years. 2015, I got involved with medical technology. And about two years ago, I was challenged by a urology professor at the University of Utah with coming up with a way of counting nocturnal erections. Number, men know about their morning wood, so to speak. I don't know what you call it in Australia. Yes, but I mean, yeah. the morning wood is the same thing. The morning wood has nothing to do with having to uh, 
to urinate. I mean, I'm, Cam, I can assure you right now that if I drank a liter of beer and you drank a liter of beer, the night of one of us is going to get is getting an erection. Although you are a good-looking guy, so I, I, <laughs> I'm. It, it we, actually no one really knows what, co- what causes these erections. Uh, you know, a man my age will have three plus per night. A man probably your age might have four plus per night. And some twenty-five year old kid have you know might have five. We, we've had young younger men, the teen years, have six or seven. Hmm. And this is data that that no one else has. No one really knows what has, goes on with a penis at night. But these erections are frequent and they are a marker of vascular health. The urologists and the cardiologists call the penis the canary in the coal mine of vascular disease. So having my so my goal here was to both was both to develop what I call the vital signs of erectile health, which are the duration of an erection, the firmness of an erection, and then we count that during sex, measure that during sex and warn overnight and count the number of nocturnal erections so that men can get this important data and then monitor their progress. They want to keep stay where they are. What can they do to keep their health, their erectile health where it is? If things aren't going well for them, where are they and what can help them? Mm. Yeah, I appreciate you, you speaking into this, man, because one of the things I, I ask my clients first up is, do you get morning erections? And if they say no, then I typically go, okay, there's probably something here that I need to refer you on to, to a GP for a health check. Um, it's it's a screening process that I kind of do for my clients, just a simple question. But I'm curious, what did we do before the development of this uh, technology that you've kind of created to measure nocturnal erections? How are we doing that? Just by observation? Well, there are three ways. One, there are urologists, even today, who will say, oh, well, if you have a morning erection, you're okay. Right. But that's not really true. It's really crude because that's only one. And we know that people should be having, have, having more than one. There's also the stamp test. You know, there's notion that you can find it online that if you put, you put a, a roll of stamps around your penis and that roll breaks overnight that you, you've had an erection, therefore you're okay. But again, we're, that only counts, you know, one. The other is a device called the Rigiscan, R-I-G-I-S-C-A-N. It looks like something Dr. Frankenstein would put in your penis. I've done it once. You have this these wires that go around your shaft, and then there are wires that come off that and, and, and go to a box. Uh, it can only be worn under art, really artificial circumstances. Most of the time, people go to a sleep lab, although there are some at-home devices. It's uncomfortable, and it doesn't simulate what's really going on. So, you know, one of one of our challenges with what we were doing is we wanted to, to invent something at FirmTech that people could use in privacy, at home, discreetly and easily under real life circumstances. And real life circumstances mean, yeah, I always I always masturbate before I go to bed. Or I sex my wife before my partner before I go to bed, or I I always have two shots of bourbon, two puffs of pop, and et cetera, et cetera. So we we, we can actually monitor sex in those circumstances. So a man goes to a urologist. With a re- says he has erectile dysfunction, they can wave an ultrasound over the penis, uh, but it doesn't simulate what's really go with what, what men most want to know, which is what's going on when I'm having sex, what's going on with my erections, how long they last, how hard are they, what's impacting them. Mm, so you've got a wearable device that's like you know can be used at home for multiple purposes, essentially. Yeah, that's correct. I mean, and in this age of healthcare wearables, this is the first underwearable. And <laughs> Nice. <laughs> lots, lots of men, you know, men. I mean, my friends have these, you know, smart watches, smart rings. They're, you know, they're, they're common. What do men care more about? How many steps they took yesterday, or how's their cock doing? Mm. And they, that's a rhetorical question, obviously. And it's our, it's our hope that, with, as with other wearables, people will develop a positive attitude, attitude towards it. So, for example, if I'm if I'm overweight and I 
I, I get a digital scale, I'll start monitoring the more conscious of my weight is. If I have asthma or chronic obstructive pulmonary disease and I have a smart ring that's telling me what my, my oxygen, oxygen levels are, I will be, I now can be more cognizant of what can be making things you know, better or worse for me. So it's, it's, you know, it's our hope that as, and also the first real sex tech, male sex tech in the world, that people will develop a positive relation with, relationship in the sense that, hey, if I'm diabetic and I want my cock to work, I got, I got to take my medicines. If I'm overweight, I've got to lose weight. If I'm taking too many medications, doing too many drugs, drinking too much, I now can see that data and address you know, the, the problem. So you know, the, it, you know, a lot of stuff that's going on in sex tech, to my mind, is not really about wellness. So I'm, I mean, let's suppose, Cam, I don't know, you're, you're in Australia. I'm, I'm actually here in Taiwan right now. Let's suppose you and I are lovers. The, the, the thought that, that, yeah, it's tech. If you and I can, can, can vibrate each other's bums right now at, at a distance, yeah, that's kind of cool. That's kind of fun. It's tech. But it's not telling, telling us anything about our health, about our wellness. And that's, so I would like to make distinction between just plain sex tech that's about some novelty and sexual sex tech for wellness mm-hmm. that I think is really profoundly valuable. Yeah, I agree with you, man. And and I think it's like really empowering as well to be able to like take control of your health by going, hey, here's some metrics that I can start to measure. You know, I think about the metrics that I measure in my, you know, non-health related life with regards to my business and social media. And it gives me a baseline to then go, cool, I can do something now and see if it works, see if it improves. And I can apply that same logic, I suppose, to my health and, and start to measure certain metrics and then start to improve on. Yeah, well, you know, before there's dysfunction, there's fitness. Hmm. And so how do we maintain our fitness? And ideally, the type of technology uh, technology I'm talking about would be, will become, and I'm confident will become, part of the standard annual checkup of every man, especially every man over the age of 40 or 5 or 50, as men start to enter, enter into the age where they, they get hypertension, they get atherosclerosis, they get various you know, conditions that, that are going to affect their sexual health. So just, you know, we don't just start taking... A blood, you know, I'll put it this way. If I went, I, if I went to lecture to a doctor and for an annual physical and they just listened with an old fashioned stethoscope and said, Hey, your heart's okay. I would think, what the fuck is this 1880? If, you know, I expect to get an electrocardiogram, as would you, even, even your age, expect to get an electrocardiogram. I would expect that my annual, annual physical, they're going to measure certain blood, blood tests to see what my, my baseline is. And that's what we're, what this device gives people, even if they don't have a problem yet, it yeah. gives them a baseline of their, of their erectile fitness so they can then periodically measure it and say, yeah, well, it's getting worse. What am I, what, what am I going to do? Because erect, if the number of, your number of nocturnal erections goes down, say from, I'll pick on myself from four to two, I, I still could probably have sex every day. I, but I actually have a problem. I need to see a doctor. I need, I, I have, I'm developing a vascular problem, most likely. And I, and I need to seek help, but I wouldn't know about it unless I was monitoring it with, with technology. Yeah. Well, I'm curious, that, like for people that can't, you know, aren't watching or can't see this, the, the piece of technology itself is, a, is essentially a cock ring, right? So it goes around the shaft of the penis. And, and I was wondering, like, you know, because I, I, I talk to a, you know, a lot of people about using cock rings and one of the things I share with them is like the contraindication of like not wearing a cock ring for more than 20 minutes, right? And so curious if there's a, you know, if you've got a contraindication around like using the, the ring overnight or how you've gotten around like, you know, this idea of it, it possibly being unsafe or constricting around the cock. Well, I, I think that we've solved 
what you and I both agree is the cock ring problem. Okay. They suck. They co- cock <laughs> rings aren't, aren't comfortable. You wear them 50, 20 minutes, they pinch. So when this do- professor at the University of Utah, Dr. James O'Talling, challenged me with, with caffeine and nocturnal erections, I needed to come up with a totally new form, application of, of a cock ring. So most cock rings, they're made out of hard silicone. You have to have, you have, to have an erection to put them on. Well, probably not a challenge for you and me. We don't have significant erectile dysfunction, but certainly a challenge for men who, who have performance anxiety, erectile dysfunction, et cetera. They have to have an erection when they put it on. Two, they got to take it off after 20, 30 minutes. Three, it pinches and it's uncomfortable. After you've, had, you know, after you've had an orgasm, you want the damn thing off as quick as possible because, because it hurts. I've never come up with, a, my experience, and I've heard about other men too, the cock ring that was comfortable. So our cock ring is made out of soft elastomer. So, you know, here it is. It's, it, it's soft, it squishes, you know, squishes easily. So the, the advantage of an elastomer over silicone is that silicone makes you adapt to it. It's an uncomfortable material. Imagine like putting a row band on, you, on your wrist and leave, leaving a dent. Whereas elastomers adapt to you. So they're, they're soft, they're uncomfortable. Our cock ring can be worn overnight. So you can put it on when you're flaccid. Our cock ring only blocked does not block the arterial flow into the penis. It only constrains the venous return from the penis. So it can be worn for long periods of time. An analogy would be in medicine, there are two types of tourniquets. One is an arterial tourniquet and the other is a venous tourniquet. So an arterial tourniquet, I mean, you know, if, Cam, if you went down the street today and got hit by a truck and you're, you're bleeding out from your leg, the paramedics would come and they put a very tight tourniquet, an arterial tourniquet on your leg to control the bleeding. And they have like a cock ring, they have to release that tourniquet every 20, 30 minutes, lest the tissue distal to the injury die. A venous tourniquet is like when you go to and go and have blood drawn. It's a soft tourniquet, it doesn't turn your hand black and blue, it doesn't make your hand swell, it just restrains the, it can block the veins so they can draw blood. It's, it's, and it's, it's much more comfortable. Well, that's this our cock ring is like an even more comfortable var- variation of that. So it can be worn for hours, it's soft, you can put it on when you're flaccid, and it closes uniquely with a hook. So mm. Our cock ring opens and closes, just like a bra. I mean, a bra, and that's probably really the inspiration for the hook. A bra is a ring. Women don't put bras on over their head. It opens up, comes around, and then clo- closes with a hook. Well, the, the hook has been around since cave people time. People are hanging things on hooks, but no one thought about putting hooks in the clothing. I only know this because my wife was a fashion designer. People, people, they never put hooks in clothing until the 1920s. Well, co- and makes things a lot easier. It's a lot easier than, than snaps, buttons, ties, etc. No, cock rings have been manufactured in the United States for 140 years, closed ring. Until this one, no, with a hook, no one has ever thought about make, about you know, putting a hook in a ring. By putting the hook in, it's easy on, easy off. Part of the challenge here was I wanted a ring that fat people could put on because the reality is there's just a lot of obese people out there today. Hmm. And I want, so I want something that if someone were overweight, Smoking pot, drinking, lube on the fingers, the diabetic, they got performance anxiety, the partner's wondering impatiently, did I just get 15, 20 minutes of wrist or jaw fatigue for nothing? Is it going to happen? Mm. Uh, so I want something that could you know, be put on, put on easily by these men. So ours is, ours is not, also not a single ring. Ours is a double ring. One of the rings, the rings are, once, when, the, when the loop is closed, one ring goes, th- goes around the base, the, the dorsum, the base, the shaft, the penis. The other ring goes around the top of the testicles in order to achieve the impact, the desired impact. Our ring is also designed to produce better orgasms. 
specifically bedrock acids. So how, how do we do that? Well, like all rings, we retain blood in the penis. But we retain it comfortably. But our, our ring also puts a little bit of soft pressure over the urethra. By doing that, we protract the ejaculatory phase. The ejaculatory mm. phase is when we have the, the most nerve stimulation you know, throughout our body. So with our device, the ejaculatory phase goes from, depends on the person's age, goes from three to five seconds up to six to eight, six to eight to nine seconds. And that produces a more profound orgasm. So in a study of, we did a 60 men, 40 men without ED, 20 men with ED, 95% said erections last longer, and 75% said their orgasms are better. Yeah, uh, that's a big change. Yeah, totally. And I appreciate the the you know consideration for people that are overweight. You know, to, to you know men that are overweight to, to be able to put these on because you know if we're thinking erectile health, you know one of the one of the things that can lead to a decline in erectile health is obesity, right? And and so I'm yeah really appreciative that that was taken into consideration. One of the things I'm I'm curious about is like how does it collect the data of those erections? Like what, what what's it actually doing? Sure. Well, we, we, we've embedded a pressure sensor there, and there's a strain gauge in the hook. And that data, and then there's, there, in, in, inside this insert here, there is a, there's Bluetooth antenna, there's a memory chip, you know, a battery. So when the device is recording, the, uh, the Bluetooth is off and there's no radiation. And then you take the device off and you pair it with your phone, your phone, and the data is upload, the data goes to the cloud and then is uploaded on your phone and you, and, and you can then see, see, see your waveforms. And the way from the piece of information we give people are the number of nocturnal erections they have, they wear it overnight, or the, uh, the duration of firmness of any erection, whether it's overnight or, or, or one during sex. Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. So yeah, so it's via pressure, I suppose. Yeah. This is, you know, we spoke about this just before we started recording, but like the collection and the storage of data and ensuring people's privacy because you're collecting what could effectively be considered maybe medical information about, you know, men and their, their nocturnal directions and, and possibly even using that to, you know, if you were so inclined to predict or, you know, to, to kind of decipher a particular man's health and, you know, in a, you know, malicious world, maybe use that information to sell stuff to them, mm-hmm. right? Which is essentially what we're doing now. And I say we, I mean, like collectively, what our system is doing is collecting that information yes. about our biology and then trying to sell shit to us. So just curious about like the data collection, privacy protection aspect of it all. Sure. Well, we, we have no relationship with, with any advertisers. We don't allow, we don't sell, sell people's data. We never will sell, we'll, we'll sell people's data. The data comes, can come to us three ways. One, people keep their data to- totally to themselves, and they can. Leave, but then they have they have a storage problem. The other way in which people sell, get get their data to us, it comes to us anonymously. There's only one person in the company, and it's not me, who has access to the data because people do give us emails and other information. When we store the data, though, it's stored anonymously. So we, you know, people get, you know, the computer generates a number for it, you know, for everyone. And there's only one person, the company would actually, you know, crack that, you know, that, you know, that, that, that code, so to speak. So we're, we're really cognizant of, of the, you know, of, of this problem. We, we, the data is stored on the Amazon cloud. It is HIPAA compliant, but we are worried that every, everything, everything, you know, potentially, you know, could be, you know, could, could be hacked. You know, we've, our device has, has been used by people, by users in ways that can be disruptive of their relationships. So, for example, we make the distinction between between a psychogenic ED, and non-psychogenic ED. So, psychogenic ED, you know, that is a huge problem. So, if, if, if take take both extremes, 
if a man is having difficulty with a partner, but he's having nocturnal erections, there's something more likely not in the relationship that's going on. And we have had people, we have had breakups result as a consequence, I mean, told by, by customers as a consequence of that. On the other side, if a man is not having nocturnal erections or is having maybe one week nocturnal erection, there's no amount of oral, manual, vaginal, anal stimulation that's going to make any difference. It's just not, someone, someone's, this is just not going to happen. Again, that can have a significant impact on some, both someone's self-esteem and, up, and up upon their relationship. So it's really important that this, the data be used and not, can't be shared. Now, people do have the option of sharing their data. They can, they can, they can, but they make that choice. They make the choice to, to, to share their app with someone else. We have private rooms for research where at universities where all the data is, is, is in a separate cloud, you know, separate box rather can't, can't be accessed, or people can just select what, what data they want to share with their doctor or the healthcare, the healthcare provider. So we're, 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 we're very cautious of this, this privacy issue. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that, man. And I, I'm, I'm probably not tech savvy enough to ask the right questions or the relevant questions around that. But I wanted to bring it up because it is something that I, I think is important, particularly when we're collecting, like like said, you know, information about people's ostensibly medical conditions as well. The What I what I really appreciate you, you mentioning is the difference between psychogenic and non-psychogenic ED. And something that I try and educate around is, yeah, the difference, but well, I mean, not the difference, but like the variations that of of erectile dysfunction. One could be psychogenic, psychological, emotional, mental, relational, or it could be vasculogenic, right? So there's something to do with the blood flow or maybe it's venous leak, right? So someone's got some issues with venous leak syndrome or possibly it's uh, neurogenic, right? It could be something to do with the nervous Mm -hmm. system, could be physiological, could be some sort of musculature or erectile tissue issue. And so uh, the reason why I'm, I'm adamant about you know, educating with regards to like the differences is because I often get people go like, what's, what's the one thing I can do to help with my erectile dysfunction? And I go, well, there isn't kind of just one thing because it depends on why you have erectile dysfunction, what's causing it in the first place. And so I really am skeptical. This is a little bit tangential, but I get really skeptical of people that, you know, promote this one stop, you know, shop fix for your erectile issues. You know, it's like, well, that's well. That's all well and good, but what type of erectile dysfunction are you treating, right? What are you trying to solve? So, so I'm appreciative of you speaking into the, the differences between you know psychogenic and non-psychogenic. Well, one one, one thing is key things, key points I'd like to make to, to, to men or and or people that love men is it's one thing for a 25 or 30, 30 year old man in relatively good health who can't get it up to go online and get pills. It's not going to do any harm. I mean, you and I can talk later on perhaps about the risk of the pills, but for a man who's 45, 50, 60 years old to go online and just get pills, that man could be masking an important problem. Because as, mm-hmm. as, I, as I said earlier, the penis is the canary in the coal mine of vascular disease. Diabetes, hypertension, osteoporosis, obesity, these are, these are profound issues, major, widespread issues you know, for men. And by taking pills, you could just be masking a significant problem. I mean, you wouldn't, you wouldn't for example... Go to the gym and get see that your blood pressure is high, and run out and get some pills. You would go see a doctor, you know. Yeah. And 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 men, men, and men should you know men should take their favorite their favorite organ, their penis, similarly seriously, just the way just, you know just just the way they, you know, they 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 do their heart. Yeah, yeah. I I am seeing like more young men take Viagra. Like I think there's you know this is a bit again beyond our conversation, I suppose. But I I, I definitely believe that there's like an over pathologization of like sexual dysfunction especially for men i mean in general i think but like particularly men i think men's sexual 
normal variations of sexual function have been over-medicalized and over-pathologized. And so one of the things I'm seeing is like a lot of younger men, and I mean like mid-20s to mid-30s, like like as you mentioned, kind of going online, getting pills. Like I've gone through the process of getting pills to see how easy it is. And I have now a subscription for, you know, I, I don't, I'm not, not mentioning any big pharmaceutical names here, but you yeah. know, for the little blue pill essentially. And, and so, and one of the reasons why I see a lot of young men doing that is like, it's, you know, they kind of tied into, you know, this rhetoric around like pornography. I'm watching too much porn. I got porn induced erectile dysfunction. And like, and it's like framed as this like biological condition that they have. And so I foresee technology like this, especially when it becomes like, you know, available to them rather than like having to go in to a doctor and get this particular, you know, test done on their penis, they can actually do it at home is to, to essentially what you shared before is like figure out like, oh, should I actually don't have a medical condition, right? I don't have like this biological issue that's wrong with me because I'm still getting erections at nighttime, which I would hazard a guess and say a lot of these younger men that are resorting to pharmaceuticals are still having erections at night, but they're taking these these medications because they think that they need it, right? And and you know, mm-hmm. the, the medications that the pharmaceuticals work at a biological level, right? They work at like the, I don't want to get into the PDE5 inhibitors well, and what they actually do, but like, uh, like they don't need them is what I'm kind of getting at here is like they, they got to work on the, the psychogenic portion of it, not necessarily the biological portion of it, I suppose. The drugs are most effective in men who don't need them. So and that's, yeah. one the, that's one of the irons of the whole situation. I mean, I prescribe uh, PDE5 medications large, largely to men who don't need them. And I'll explain. So at one extreme, it's, it's men who are, you know, say 60 plus, they're divorced or they're widowed. They're going out with someone who's 15, 20 years younger than them. They tell me that they, they couldn't get up. I tell these men, men don't understand. This is where the data is so important because with the data, we can start to say what's normal at different ages. Mm. I tell men who are, who, are, who, are, who are older, matter of fact, many like 30, 35 years older, you can't go to get it up the first or so second time with a partner, male or female. That's normal. You're just anxious. So in general, these men who I give pills, I tell them, you know, you're not going to come back for another prescription. Because once your relationship is, once you have trust in the relationship, you're not going to need this anymore. And that's also rarely the case. At the other extreme is for men, I, I do, you know, give pills to men or tell them to go online. If you're looking for a party drug, yes, it's true. If you're 25 years old, you can probably have an extra couple of Mai Tais or, you know, whatever you're drinking, you know, another half, you know, six beers and, and, and still get an erection because the, the medications do, do increase blood flow. That said, one of the reasons why the medications are less effective in those who most need them, who are older men, especially older men with diabetes, hypertension, or atherosclerosis, post-heart attack or post-stroke, is that it's not the, the problem these men have is not about getting blood into the penis. The problem is about, is about holding the blood in the penis. Yeah, yeah. All men get penis leak syndrome. Mm. All men get it. Yeah. And I, I heard that there's a, again, this is maybe a little bit ch- tangential, but isn't, isn't there a shock therapy or something yeah. that treats venous leak syndrome? Yeah, the shock therapy is really po- popular in the United States. Uh, and I think it probably works. I don't think that that really figured out which, sh- what, what wave what waves amount of shock, you know, is most effective. But, you know, doctors tend to, whether they're in Australia or the United States or around the world, they prescribe things that make them money or that insurance pays yeah. for. Yeah. So, you know, doctors, we like to write prescriptions for pills because it means recurrent people are happy and they come, they come back. Doctors are very big on surgical interventions. 
or we're helping people. It also makes money for them. Mm. I don't really talk more about the United States, but they're, they're very small-minded about mechanical solutions. And that's where Cochrane comes in. And that's, that's the answer to Venus Leak Syndrome. The more potent answer is not a pill or even shockwave, in my opinion. It is a mechanical solution. So as we get older, we all get Venus Leak Syndrome. What does that mean? Well, we, I, you need to think about, to my mind, the, the, this urological problem like a plumber. You got you got a boiler, your heart. There's not much you can do to strengthen your boiler as you get older. There's no medicine that's going to give a, a six-year-old man the heart of a you know 25-year-old. And then there are pipes. So the pipes coming out of, of the boiler, so to speak, well, those are your arteries. Well, you if you have diabetes, hypertension, you want to take your medications. In fact, you don't want to get those problems. You want you want to identify those issues early on. Or obesity, you want you want to lose weight. And then there's the that's the outflow from the heart. Then there's the flow back in. Well, here we have a valve muscle problem. We have valves in our veins and valves and smooth muscle around our our, our veins that pumps the blood back back to the heart. As we get older, can be a little too young to have this problem yet, but it's coming. You're you're, you're especially if you're on a long plane plane ride, your feet and your hands will swell a bit. And you'll notice that with, with the weather, you have a wedding band on, or you notice your socks will feel, feel a little bit tight. Well, same thing happens to the penis. Even in men who don't have significant disease, our smooth muscle weakens. We can go to the gym and we can strengthen our skeletal muscle, but we can't exercise. The only way we can exercise our smooth muscle is by ha- having sex. Mm. We have, you know, so that's that's one of the one of the important important things about regular se- about regular sex is that it is a use it or lose it phenomenon. If you don't exercise those smooth muscles through ejaculation, directions of ejaculation, they're going to get weaker. But they are going to get weaker, weaker anyway. So what do you, what what does a cock ring do? The cock ring basically is a mechanical solution to the venous leak. It prevents the you know blood from leaving the penis. And it's my belief, I like the US as well too, that cock rings need to be mainstreamed. Hmm. Mainstreamed. The you know, in my lifetime, look at vibrators. I'm you know, I'm I'm almost I'm 70 years old. My mother's vibrator was in the bottom drawer of a back dresser in a storage closet, hoping she'd still be never find it. You know, my wife travels with them, my daughter takes them on dates. They they've become mainstream for women they're no longer seen as a crutch cock rings are st- still seen as crutches by, by by many men not a performance enhancer not something that's gonna make it easier to sustain erection make you more confident enhance the pleasure for your partner because you're gonna last longer and produce a better orgasm you know at, when we were at conventions with firm tech medical conventions it quickly came to, came to my occurred to me that i can tell a difference between a straight doctor and a gay doctor by asking them one question can you guess i'm not, not go for it you ask them, do you use a cock ring? The straight doctor's reaction is kind of like Superman with kryptonite. Oh, no, I, you know, I, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't need that. And they don't recommend them to their patients either. Mm. That's a pro- problem. The gay doctor's attitude is, yeah, I, I used one last night. You got a better one? Something I can try? Mm. So, you know, the United States is probably true in Australia as well, too. 90% of sexually active gay men use cock rings regularly. Only 10% of straight men with sexually active use cock rings regularly. And we have the simple, inexpensive mechanical solution, cock ring, but instead people take drugs or look, or look for expensive procedures that probably work. I think shockwave therapy works. I'm not saying it doesn't work. Or the P-shot or injections, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of, injections of neurotoxin at the base of the dorsal of the penis to increase blood flow. Yep. These things are expensive and they're interventions. Why wouldn't people try some? I think that people should try something simpler first, mm. which is an effective Cochrane. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you, man. And I appreciate the the approach that you're taking to this. 
Hey there, thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I hope you're enjoying this episode. I just wanted to chime in here with a plug for my online men's course. It's called Outperform a Porn Star. It goes for six weeks and it's all about experiencing multiple orgasms, overcoming any uh, sexual dysfunctions, reframing your whole performance mindset around sex to be more pleasure-oriented, We talk about communicating with your partner, being a sexual leader, and all of this amazing stuff. So if you're interested in learning how to outperform a porn star, head to my website, www.cam-fraser.com. Let's get back to this episode. One of the things that I guess I'm curious around as well is like, you know, the, the barrier to using a cockering right is what you mentioned before which is like you, you need to have an erection in order to 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 put it on but the the fact that the 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 rings that you guys have designed is you know can be put on flaccid i suppose and then allows the, the engorgement to happen are you doing any education with your customers or with people in general around like i, I guess like what i'm getting at here is like a more holistic approach to be like hey if you are putting this on flaccid and you're still struggling to get an erection, like here's one of the things that you also need to do in order to help get that erection, in order to help get the blood flow going in the first place. I know you mentioned before, one of the reasons why people on, you know, in new relationships or going on the first couple of dates don't get an erection is because they're anxious. Do you, do you talk to, to clients that are using these, these rings about anxiety and things like that as well? We, we, don't have, we don't have enough opportunities to speak to the clients because, you know, the business is being done through e-commerce. Yes. A lot of it. And the business that's, that we're conducting through urologists or through sexologists they're the ones who are speaking to their, you know, to their patients. I have spoken to probably 35, 40 of our patients, though, and I certainly, you know, try to convey that information to them. Mm. Yeah, beautiful, man. Yeah, I, I appreciate we, the, the difficulty doing that. Can we just pause just one second? I, I, I just need to send a text message to someone about, because we're going to go over when I'm going to be done. Just one second. Oh, I yeah, apologize. Sure, sure. That's all right. Sorry about that. Nope, no, no problem. I'll get Dan to, to clean this up for us. Um. One of the things that we we spoke about just before we started recording, actually, was you know, people taking medications that may be necessary for their health in some respect, but also could have an, a side effect of having a negative impair erectile. And so I'm curious, is that something you've come across in your work? And like, how are you navigating that with people? Well, that's that's one of the, the probably the issue about which I've had the most contact with, with people because I call them patients, but they're really my customers. That's just my doctor my mindset. <laughs> but I'll have people email us and say, gee, I'm I'm so and so, I'm this age, I'm taking these medications. Can how can your device help me? Mm-hmm. And we it's just like one one the oldest person contacted us is 82 years old. His wife is in her 60s. He ha- he has not been able to ejaculate for I forget 15, 16 months. He's taking five medications, all of which are cock killers. Mm-hmm. Uh, antihypertensives, and sleep medication, antidepressants, two antihypertensives. And we were able to, with my encouragement, to get him to drop through the medications and go to his doctor and, and suggest, look, I, you know, give me, here are some alternatives that have been suggested to me by, you know, by Dr. Justin. And that guy is now having sex twice a week. He's in his 80s. And his wife emailed us thanking us because it's not just about the sex. It's not, you know, it's not about ejaculation. It's about restoring the intimacy of their relationship and removing this air, this area of anxiety and tension between the two, between, you know, you know between the two of them. Yeah. At the other extreme, uh, the two youngest people we've been in contact with, one's 25, one's 26, are bodybuilders. And they're taking testosterone and other hormones. And both these men, one of these, one of these men was trying to, you know, his wife trying to get pregnant. And 
uh, you know, even though the guy looks like he, he could, you know, throttle me with just two fingers of his left hand, uh, he's only having one nocturnal erection and, and, and a weak one. Mm. Uh, and to him, that was alarming because he wanted to attribute this problem to, oh, I'm stressed, I'm competing, and yeah. I, got, I just changed jobs, and I'm trying to get my wife pregnant, so it's a real struggle to get an erection. No, his problem was he was over-medicating himself. It was really alarming to him. He's no longer professional bodybuilding. He stopped taking them. He's now having, he has two plus nocturnal erections. His wife is pregnant. And, it's, you know, it's a, it's a success story. And we've had another bodybuilder, young young man, who actually had significant adrenal suppression for taking medications. And also to him, was this was like, he wouldn't have thought about this unless he tried our, our ring. He would have thought, he would have got, he would have been diagnosed eventually, mm-hmm. but he got diagnosed faster because of the data that he, that he got from our ring. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess like what I'm curious about here is like, the because these these people have have you know these men have worked I suppose with you personally but as the and I foresee like your 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 business or the company like expanding and they you know say I in the future am using this you know product and I'm collecting this data about my erections what do I do with that data how do I actually utilize it to maybe I am only having one week nocturnal erection and I'm like holy shit I didn't know that. What do I what do I do about that as a as a user? Who do I speak to? Sure. Well, right now you can you can take that data to your to your either your, your therapist, sexologist, or, or or your doctor. Or in the future, we in the future we we will have subscription service. People right. will be able to have online contact with with the mid level urologist or even with the with the urologist, and there'll be other competing services. We're not going to be the only one. I mean, I you know I'm, we we're the first, but it's not it's it's kind of like saying, hey, I, I for like the first company that invented the electrocardiogram. Within two or three years, there were you know there, there were probably a half dozen that did it. This, so the top, you know telemedicine services for, for this problem, especially a problem that men like to keep private, they, they, these services will you know will proliferate. For now, the company is small enough that as I said, like you know probably twenty to twenty five percent of the men that have used this have shared their 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 medical issues with me in privacy and I've been able you know we've been able to you know to work together with the problem or to direct them to the right res- you know resource so uh you you know you, what you do is you use the urologist we've also had men use our devices to as almost like a second opinion the urologist is recommending a penile implant to them well they want to be certain they don't have nocturnal erections before they get the implant because if they have nocturnal mm-hmm. erections the situation is probably not that bad enough. Getting at what you were saying earlier, the situation is probably multifactorial. Yes, they have a vascular problem, so the number of nocturnal erections is down, but they also have relationship issues or medication issues that are, that, 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 that are contributing to the fact that they can't get it up at all. But mm. the nocturnal erections are indicating that the, that there's still some activity there and that a penile implant might be too radical an approach yeah. uh, you know, to their problems. Yeah, I, I, that's what I really appreciate about this is that it is it feels empowering to like have that information about like if I'm thinking for myself, it would feel empowering for me to have that information about my body and to be like, okay, cool, now I can make a decision based on what I know about m- how my body's you know functioning at the moment. So I think that's a, it's only a good thing. Well, yeah. Also, what we're doing is again what medicine we call it leading indicator. You know, if, if a man's blood pressure is up. What, is, what should the man really be worried about? His heart, his brain, or his kidney. But the blood pressure, unless it's really extreme, doesn't tell you anything about that. I mean, if a man's blood pressure goes from 120 to 140, what does it really mean? Is it stress? Is it lack of sleep? Too much alcohol? Or does he have a heart, brain, or, you know, it's a kidney problem as well as high blood pressure? Erection is a, le- is, it's a leading indicator. It's, it's you know, the, you're actually seeing the impact of, uh, of your vascular health or medications on, on an organ directly. Are they getting nocturnal erections or you're not? Are the erect- erections, the duration of them is decreasing 
or it's or it's or it's stable, you know, or it's stable. So I'm confident that what we're doing, as I said earlier, will become part of the standard workup, mm. annual workup, more regular workup of men as as they get older. Yeah, and what what has been some of the barriers to like getting this technology up and running, and and then also using, you know, having people use it as well? I'm, I'm curious to, to know what the challenges have been. Yeah, that's, that's a great question. People don't know what they don't know. So <laughs> yeah. whether and whether that's doctors who are unaware of this, I mean, I never knew about the importance of uh, of nocturnal erections until I started working on this about two, you know two years ago. Mm. And so people don't know if they don't know. People don't know that th- that this exists. How do you you know if if I was selling a new version of a car, well, everyone knows what a car is. If I if, if I tell people, I have you know I, we jokingly call this a dick bit. Well, we've got a, you know what a Fitbit is. We've got a, we've got a dick bit. They kind of start to get it, but it hasn't been established. You know, we, people. Are, for better or for worse, we most people are, are herd thinkers. We follow the herd, mm-hmm. and the herd has not been alerted to what you know to what we're doing. We just kind of fought, reaching the point in the United States where, where urologists are finding out about us. We don't have you know we, our marketing campaign. It's it's the challenge. Yeah, well, another part, another part of the problem with the marketing campaign is we're talking about penises and Facebook. Oh yeah, Don't uh, not not very positive about that. Nor in fact, nor is Instagram. So it, it's a challenge. We've been banned a couple of times. Yeah, and we're not even being that explicit, but we can't. It's you know we can't actually explain why our cock ring is superior. For example, it, requ- it requires a visual image. Mm. I, I, I just can't tell you about it. You, you, you kind of you need to see. Yeah, it's got a hook. It's made of soft elastomer. These are things that can be shown in a in a short video. They're hard to. Mm. So the, and 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 you know the metaverse is not happy about this. It's rather it's rather ironic because the metaverse kind of prides itself on being progressive, but when it comes to sex, they're actually an obstacle. Yeah, yeah, I very much agree with you and, and have come up against some of those resistances myself with regards to trying to get my work out there and, 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 you know, speak about sexuality in a holistic kind of educational way. And they're still not, yeah, still not. But that said, you know, we, you know, we were, we were at the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas in January and we got, we got second place in wellness innovation. We also have, you know, the big industry, the industry on the sex side is, is, is XBiz and our, Tech Ring, the Ring of the Technology, got won the prize for the most innovative sex toy of the year. Oh, congratulations! So people are finding out about us. Yeah, nice. Yeah, I, I and I think it probably be spearheaded by people in the industry, I suppose, and and that's kind of how it tends to be with regards to like sexuality related technology. You know, something that that came up when I have spoken about sex tech on my social media is like there's fear around it. So you know, one of the challenges I foresee for people. At the user ends, like actually investing in, like you know, purchasing stuff like this, is like that fear aspect of like, oh god, there's this thing that's collecting data about me, and like, oh, it's just going to make me more disconnected from my partner. And I'm, these are talking points that were you know shared with me when I posted about like sex and technology and going going mm-hmm. forward. And so, and I think part of that is like what you mentioned before is like it's still seen as a bit of a crutch to, to be using toys especially for for men you know a lot of people that you know position themselves as quote unquote sex positive is still like anti-sex toy maybe they're like you know a bit more into the you know that like natural spiritual kind of approach to sex mm-hmm. which you know is like a very anti-sex toy so yeah i'm curious if you have any thoughts on like that fear of technology encroaching on our intimacy and sex lives well it's 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 alarming to me as well too it, i mean just stepping back from from sex, everything can be hacked, and the uh, it's easy to fix problems when you have data, but you can also start to interfere with people's 
lies by by having that data. You know, one one of the one of the, I first got involved in sex tech for something I call Project O, o for obvious reasons. I was very interested in a technique called neuromodulation. So the neuromodulation is basically implanting electrodes to produce an effect in the body. And the paradigm for neuromodulation is cardiac pacemaker. Mm. It's been around since the late 1950s. The cardiac pacemaker can pace your heart, but can also turn your heart off. And that, and people, and so people have been very concerned, really recently, about that, that being some being able to hack someone's, you know, cardiac pacemaker. I was interested in pacemaking human sexuality. I was interested in putting a stimulator by the cavernous nerve in order to transform the way in which we treat sexual issues and, and also to, ma- to maintain sexual performance up, up into the, the, la- the later periods of life. And then it occurred to me in the course of that work, which, by the way, was unsuccessful, and that's interesting. I'll get that in a second. But it occurred to me in the course of that work that this is actually dangerous. That mm-hmm. if we could, if someone's, if people are going to do this, this is going to happen. I'm, I might have stopped doing it, but someone's going to do this. Someone's going to figure out how to, how to stimulate sexual erections in men and women uh, with via a neuromodulation technique. And if you do that, you can also castrate them, mm. so to speak, you know, with, with that technology. But uh, on that subject, there were, there were five papers in the medical literature, peer-reviewed literature, saying that, contending that, that these urologists had placed electrodes by the cavernous nerve and produced erections in men with spinal cord trauma or men with multiple sclerosis or other profound neurological you know problems we in our research were unable to reproduce that mm. and I, I i actually think that we don't this is to change stuff from your question but i don't think we know how erections are produced in men or women yet for that matter we like to think that everything in the body is 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 electrical in the end it should be because everything involves an electrical conduction across a across a synapse. And obviously, there are other things that enter into it, you know, pheromones and hormones, all those other things. But at some point, it's it's a, it's a it's a it's a conduction across you know across a nerve synapse. Is it? I don't. I think it's, I think it's a lot more complicated than just the cavernous nerve alone. I think it's it, and I don't, I don't think anyone's figured figured it out. It, it, you know, human sexuality remains a black box. Mm, yeah. As epitomized, I think, by something you alluded to earlier, which the, you know, which is, we, we, you know, in the United States, probably where you are too, we call it chemistry. I mean, I think everyone's had the experience who's been sexually active of being with someone who's attractive. I'm talking about something as a man or women too, and not being able to get it up for that person. And then something with someone else, and like, hey, they're less attractive. They might, you know, whatever. They, but, but so it's, it's a lot more than physical attraction. But at some point, it comes down to electricity, and we just don't know how it happens. Yeah. And yeah, we, I, and, go ahead. No, no. I was and, <laughs> and when we do this, when we do figure out what happens, that's when the dark side can come in. Then you can actually say, okay, well now we can turn it off. I'm spending yeah. it off you, can yeah. I apologize. No, I, I, uh, I appreciate you you speaking into that because I, I was curious, is that the reason why the the research failed, I suppose? Is because you just couldn't figure out like what was going on with the cavernous nerve? Well, we identified the cavernous nerve and we put an electrode by it, but we got no no reaction whatsoever. Yeah, right. Interesting. So and we should have. So we we we, and we were working first. We worked with rams, male you know male sheep, and we got erection and ejaculation, but we also got defecation and urination. So it wasn't exactly bedroom friendly. And we but we were, and not that the anatomy is different than those down in a ram that, than than it is in a human. So we then tried it on uh, on on human me. <laughs> and, and, Kind of regard myself with Lou Pasteur of human sexuality. The, uh, and if you were around Cam, you probably would have volunteered to be a subject as well, too. Yeah. Certain, for, it's for science, after all, right? Yeah, it's totally. nothing, no impact whatsoever. Yeah, interesting. And so, on the base, and it was done twice, and we just couldn't, we, you know, we abandoned the project. If there, I'm a, you know, again, I'm, I'm a man who does not have erectile dysfunction. If it really was a cavernous nerve, the way 
these papers contended, it should have worked. Yeah, because I've spoken to people on the podcast about using TENS technology for essentially prolonging sex and delaying ejaculation mm-hmm. through, I think, the pedendal nerve is what they're targeting with that right. TENS technology. So that that's what comes to mind when you were talking about this. But I recognize, of course, the cavernous nerve is a, is a totally different nerve and responsible for something completely different as well. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's clear that I'm in, I'm in, in a very limited sex focus and i don't mean sex worker focused i mean sex focused research with with e-stim that it's 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 stimulating and then it becomes and then the nerves become stunned by the by the stimulation yeah. so i think for now that those that type of approach has two applications one with male premature ejaculation or to, to delay ejaculation there are there there's one product on the market, maybe I guess I maybe won't mention the name, but they're, they're going to be in the United States market soon. I think they're, they're going to be in the UK soon too. Oh, I will. It's called Into, IN2. There's another company called Morari that has that also has has a neurostimulator for that purpose, and they're in the process yeah. of. I've interviewed uh, Jeff from Morari. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, they're so you know they're they're on the way too, uh, but that's very different from we're going to put we're going to stimulate a nerve and we're going to produce erection ejaculation that's you know that's that's a whole other phenomenon that yeah. yeah has only been done in animals yeah which so. is yeah i mean people would like to say that you know our sexual function is like so straightforward and so easy and i just like laugh at these people when they tell me that and they reduce you know human sexuality to this like little bite-sized thing so right. i appreciate you speaking into like the complexity of it all and i think that's really necessary to understand i'm curious if in your work you've noticed any connection now that you kind of mentioned it between erectile dysfunction and premature ejaculation and like co-occurring sexual dysfunctions yeah well you know statistically the majority of men who have premature ejaculation go on to have erectile dysfunction and they can't have both by definition, they can't have you know both you know you know simultaneously, and that's again that's where data becomes so important. Is this even for just for, for say for, for, for premature ejaculation? What does that mean? We don't even know it's normal. Like mean, yeah. one, one of the doctors, one of our members of the scientific advisory board, was doing some research on fraternity men. Well, what is you know is it premature ejaculation if a nineteen-year-old guy comes in three minutes? I mean, I don't think so. It might be by definition. You can't stay in erection long enough to satisfy himself or his partner. But similarly, if, uh, you know, if, if that same guy were having sex for 20 minutes, his partner couldn't have an orgasm. It's really premature ejaculation. So, it, you know, we need to be really careful about, about, about our definitions. But with data, we can start, and our, our data set is still too small. But if we had, if we had, you know, if we had a thousand men who are age 20, a thousand men who are age 30, a thousand men who are age, 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 you know, 50, on up. We can start saying what's normal for that age, and then even more importantly, what's normal at that age for men with diabetes? What's normal for men with that age who are overweight? It's, you know, we can start to, to or what's normal for that age for men who are taking SSRI antidepressants? We can start to break down what you know what normal. This this is the future. I, I, you know, I'll probably be dead before this this happens. But five, ten years from now, this is going to be known. People, these data sets are going to be developed, and we're going to be able to be, to much more effectively say what's normal, what's not what's not normal, and how, and, and figure out how to help people in different, you know, different categories of ages of disease and age. Yeah, I, I appreciate the the sentiment there. My my cautionary little voice in the back of my head is like, okay, we're, we're going to start like prescribing no, like normalcy to people, right? And be like, okay, this is what, like I said before, earlier on in our conversation, I still think that there has been a, like an over pathologization and over medicalization of like male sexual function in particular, like normal variations. You know, a guy has struggles to get an erection one time and now all of a sudden he's got erectile dysfunction is kind of like the hyperbole you know, example that I'm using here. But 
similarly, like some guy ejaculates quickly one time and now all of a sudden he's got premature ejaculation. You know, I feel like that's kind of what we've been doing to, to male mm-hmm. sexuality over the last five to 10 years. And so my fear is that we will do more of that, but I'm also optimistic that like when the, when the empowerment piece comes of like going, oh, I understand how my body works. I can understand now like what I can expect of my body and how I can improve that. A little like biohacky, but you know, there's nothing too, I don't think it's too sinister. Hack community is a little bit strange for me, but there's also like some, some gold in there, I believe. But yeah, I do yeah, just have a little cautionary voice in the back of my head about that particular future. So do I, but at least I think, I think I don't, you know, normal is not going to be some precise point. There's going to be, there's going to be variability within that. But but if you're 40 years old and you're having three erections at night or four erections at night or the duration of your erections are whatever, five to 10 minutes, you know, there's going to be, there's going to be variability, but we're also going to be able to identify who's on the, on the downside. If you're having two or less, you got a problem. Or if you can't stay in erection less, you know, for, for ten minutes or less, you have you, you know you, you have you have a problem. I think I think the day is going to be really valuable. But you're right that the the there is a tendency to pathologize these things and not stamp you know step back and think that, that we don't we don't we don't know you know enough to think about them in their complexity. Frankly, yeah, totally, totally, yeah. And I agree with you that some benchmarks are necessary in order to be able to then identify when there is an issue. So yeah, I, I it's a, a bit of a balancing act for me. And I like I said, I'm kind of on the peripheries of that space i'm not a medical professional at all and i don't really work with you know people in that capacity so it's just something that i you know have some fringe kind of associations with but i appreciate you kind of being a bit more you know in the thick of it and and, and cam you know we've been speaking almost exclusively about men but the future for women is the same women technology you know, we people will develop and we're working on something products as i shared with you earlier that will de- deliver to women the same Data that just our, our tech range, you know, deliver, delivers to men. Mm. You know, our, our goal at FemTech, and we always have the other branch we call FemTech, is to help people sustain their, their sexuality where it is. If they, and they do, if they do have a problem, try to keep it where it is because they not they now have data points you know, at that point. We want people to have the lifetime of lovemaking that men and women desire. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's an admirable mission as well. I, I, you know, I think there's conversation in here that we maybe haven't even touched on, which is like, you know, the the stigma of getting older and continuing to have sex, right? And that's like mm-hmm. part of the what I foresee being a bit of a, a barrier for you know, uptake and usage and things like that is the stigma around you know older gentlemen right. having a cockering in his, you know back pocket you know when he goes right. to, to you know so i yeah i just foresee like that being a, an interesting space as well and and of course you know people like myself and sex educators like really responsible for trying to destigmatize that i think i think that men's that straight men's attitude towards cockneys will change when straight women push it i mean if a man buys a sex toy straight it's an novelty it might get used once or twice doesn't get used if a woman buys a sex toy it gets used all the time hmm. older women who want to ha- who want to have have and I, that's not, let's not let's let's take a beyond sex. Want to have a romantic, intimate relationship with, with you know with, with with their partner? They're gonna you know being, the ability to sustain erection and deal with venous leak syndrome or whatever is causing cause, causing the issue that can be addressed initially with a, with a, with a mechanical solution. If women are, if women are into set, get into cock rings, 
men will follow. Men will get, will get into conference. <laughs> yeah, I 100% agree with you on that. But Elliot, I'm, I'm mindful of time, man. We have been speaking for you know about an hour on the podcast. And I, I recognize we spoke for about 20 minutes before the podcast as well. So thank you so much for like just spending time sharing with me about everything that you're doing. Is there anything like, yeah, as we close down this conversation and close the podcast episode down, is there anything you felt to share? Anything we kind of have missed in amongst the, the milieu of stuff we've spoken about? Well, people can find out more about our products by going to myframetech.com. I'm happy with people reaching out to me directly at Elliot, E-L-L-I-O-T, at myframetech.com. And I appreciate the time you gave, you gave me. I, you know, this, this is a profoundly fun subject to talk about, but also a profoundly important subject in terms of people's self-esteem and their health. Yeah. And people need to bear in mind that this sexuality is not just a reflection of mental health, it's a reflection of physical health as well, too. And there are warning signs here, decreased nocturnal erections, decreasing duration of firmness erections, of all erections that they can now identify using technology. And if they need help, they it's going to be there right there in front of them. You got a problem, go seek help. Amazing. So people yeah. can think smarter and get harder and stay harder for life. Mm, beautiful, brother. Thank you so much. And thank you for spending the time just having a chat with me. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you, Cal. It's a pleasure. Hey there, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Men's Sex and Pleasure podcast. If you find value from this content, then I encourage you to consider becoming a patron on my Patreon account. You can find the link for that in the description below. You'll have access to a whole bunch of perks, including behind-the-scenes podcast footage, as well as pre-release YouTube videos and patron-only writing, as well as the opportunity to have your name either shown in a YouTube video or read out in a thank you during the podcast. So like I said, if you enjoy this content and you'd like to support it and support me, then head to the link in the show notes below and consider becoming a patron. Thank you.